The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 9, The Grey Havens. The clearing up certainly needed a lot of work, but it, looked but it took less time than Sam had feared. The day after the battle, Frodo rode to Michael Delving and released the prisoners from the lock holes. One of the first that they found was poor Fredegar Bolger, fatty no longer. He had been taken with when the ruffians smoked out a band of rebels that he led from their hidings up in the Brocken Boys by the hills of Scary. You would have done better to come with us after our poor old Fredegar, said Pippin, as they carried him out too weak to walk. He opened an eye and tried gallantly to smile. Who's this young giant with the loud voice, he whispered. Not little Pippin. What's your size and hats now? Then there was Lobelia. Poor thing, she looked very old and thin when they rescued her from a dark and narrow cell. She insisted on hobbling out on her own feet, and she had such a welcome, and there was such clapping and cheering when she appeared, leaning on Frodo's arm, was still clutching her umbrella, that was that she was quite touched and drove away in tears. She had never in her life been popular before, but she was crushed by the news of Lotho's murder, and she would not return to Bag End. She gave it back to Frodo and went to her own people, the brace girdles of Hardbottle. When the poor creature died next spring, she was after all more than a hundred years old. Frodo was surprised and much moved. She had left all the remained of her remained money. Sorry, she had left all that remained of her money and of Lotho's for him to use in helping hobbits made homeless by the troubles. So that feud was ended. Old Will Whitfoot had been in lockholes longer than any, and though he had perhaps been treated less harshly than some, he needed a lot of feeding up before he could look the part of mayor. So Frodo agreed to act as his deputy until Mr. Whitfoot was in shape again. The only thing that he did as deputy mayor was to reduce the sheriffs to their proper functions and numbers. The task of hunting out the last remnant of the ruffians was left to Mary and Pippin, and it was soon done. The seven gangs, after hearing the news of the Battle of Bywater, fled out, fled out of the land and offered little resistance to that thane, to the thane. Before the year's end, the few survivors were rounded up in the woods, and those that surrendered were shown to the borders. Meanwhile, the labor of repair went on apace, and Sam was kept very busy. Hobbits can work like bees in the mood, and the need comes on them. Now there are thousands of willing hands of all ages, from the small but nimble ones of the hobbit lads and lasses, to the well-worn and horn horny ones of the gaffers and gammers. Before Yule, not a brick was left standing on the sheriff's houses or of anything that had been built by Sharky's men, but the bricks were used to repair, repair many an old hole, it, to make it snugger and drier. Great stores of goods and foods and beer were found that had been hidden away by the ruffians in sheds and barns and deserted holes, and especially in the tunnels at Michael Delving and in the old quarries at Scary, so that there was a great deal better cheer than Yule than anyone had hoped for. One of the first things that inhabited before even the removal of the new mill was the clearing of the hill and Bag End and the restoration of Bagshot Row. The front of the new sand pit was all leveled and made into a large sheltered garden, and new holes were dug in the southward face back into the hill, and they were lined with brick. The gaffer was restored to number three, and he said often and did not care who heard it. It's a med it's an ill will as blows nobody so no good, as I always say, and all's well as ends better. There was some discussion of the name that the new road should be given, Battle Gardens, was thought of, or better, better smiles. But after a while, in sensible hobbit fashion, it was just called New Row. It was a purely bywater joke to refer to it as Sharky's End. The trees were the worst and 
worst loss and damage. For at Sharky's bidding, they were cut down recklessly far and wide over the Shire, and Sam grieved over this more than anything else. For one thing, this hurt would take long to heal, and only his great-grandchildren, he thought, would see the Shire as it ought to be. Then suddenly one day, for he had been too busy for weeks to give a thought to his adventures, he remembered the gift of Galadriel. He brought the box out and showed it to the other travelers, for so they were now called by everyone, and asked their advice. I wonder when you would think of it, said Frodo. Open it. Inside it was filled with gray dust, soft and fine, in the middle of which was a seed, like a small nut with a silver shell. What can I do with this, said Sam. Throw it in the air on a breezy day and let it do its work, said Pippin. On what, said Pip, said Sam. Choose one spot as a nursery and see what happens to the plants there, said Mary. But I'm sure the lady would not like me to keep it off from my own garden. Now so many folk have suffered, said Sam. Use all the wits and knowledge you have of your own, Sam, said Frodo, and then use the gift to help your work and better it, and use it sparingly. There is not much here, and I expect every grain as a value. So Sam planted saplings in all the places where especially beautiful or beloved trees had been destroyed, and he put a grain of precious dust in the soil at the root of each. He went up and down the shire in this labor, but if he paid special attention to Hobbiton and Bywater, then no one blamed him. And at the end, he found that he still had a little of the dust left, so he went to the three-farthing stone, which is as near the center of the shire as no matter, and cast it in the air with his blessing. The little silver nut he planted in the party field where the tree had once been, and he wondered what would come of it. All through the winter, he remained as patient as he could and tried to restrain himself from going around constantly to see if anything was happening. Spring surprises bowed his hopes. His trees began to sprout and grow as if time was in a hurry and wished to make one year do for twenty. In the party field, a young, a beautiful young sapling leaped up. Leaped up. It had twenty. It had silver bark and long leaves and burst into golden flowers in April. It was indeed a malorn, and it was the wonder of the neighborhood. And after years, as it grew in grace and beauty, it was it was known far and wide, and people who would come long journeys to see it. The only Malorn west of the mountains and east of the sea, and one of the finest in the world. Altogether, one thousand four hundred twenty. Altogether, fourteen twenty in the Shire was a marvelous year. Not only was there wonderful sunshine and delicious rain, in due times and perfect measure, but there seemed something more—an air of richness and growth, and a gleam of beauty beyond that of mortal summers that that flicker and pass upon this middle earth. All the children born or begotten in that year, and there were many, were fair to see and strong, and most of them had rich golden hair that had before been rare among hobbits. The fruit was so plentiful that young hobbits very nearly bathed in strawberries and cream, and last and later they sat on very and later they sat on the lawns under the palm tr- plum trees and ate, until they had made piles of stones like small pyramids of the heaped skulls of a conqueror, and then they moved on. And no one was ill, and everyone was pleased, except for those who had to mow the grass. In the south farthing, the vines were laden, and the yield of leaf was astonishing, and everywhere there was so much corn that at harvest every barn was stuffed. The north farthing barely was so fine, and the beer of 1420 malt was long remembered and became a byword. Indeed, a generation later, one might hear an old gaffer in an inn, and a good pint of well-earned ale put down his mug with a sigh. Ah, that was proper fourteen twenty. That was. Sam stayed at first at the kinds with Frodo, but when the new row was ready, he went with the gaffer. In addition to all his other labors, he was busy directing the cleaning up and restoring of Bag End. But he was often away in the Shire on his forestry work, so he was not at home in early March and did not know that Frodo had been ill. On the thirteenth month of that 
On the 13th of that month, Farah Burkhan found Frodo lying on his bed. He was clutching a white gem that hung on a chain around his neck, and he seemed half in a dream. It is gone forever, he said, and now all is dark and empty. But the fit passed, and when Sam got back on the 25th, Frodo had recovered, and he said nothing about himself. In the meanwhile, Bag End had been set in order, and Merry and Pippin came over from Creek Hollow, bringing back all the old furniture and gear, so that the old hole soon looked very much as it always had done. When all was la- when all was at last ready, Frodo said, When are you going to move in and join me, Sam? Sam looked a bit awkward. There is no need to come yet if you don't want to, said Frodo. But you know the gaffer is close at hand, and he will be very well looked after by that by Widow Rumble. It is not that, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, and he went very red. Well, what is it? It's Rosie. Rose Cotton, said Sam. It seems she didn't like my going abroad at all, poor lass, but as I hadn't spoken, she couldn't say so, and I didn't speak because I had a job to do first. But now I have spoken, and she says, Well, you've wasted a year, so why wait longer? Wasted, I says. I wouldn't call it that. Still, I see what she means. I feel torn in two, as you might say. I see, said Frodo. You want to get married, and yet you want to live with me in Baggin, too? My dear Sam, how easy. Get married as soon as you can, and then move in with Rosie. There's room enough in Baggin for as big as a family as you could wish for. And so it was settled. Sam Gamby married Rose Cotton in the spring of 1420, which was also famous for its weddings. And they came and lived at Baggin. And if Sam thought himself lucky, Frodo knew that he was more lucky himself, for there was not a hobbit in the shire that looked after with such care. When the labors of prepare had all been planned and set going, he took to a quiet life, writing a great deal and going through all his notes. He resigned the office of deputy mayor at the free fair that midsummer, and dear old Will Whitfoot had had another seven years of presiding at banquets. Mary and Pippin lived together for some time at Crick Hollow, and there was much coming and going between Buckland and Bag End. The two young travelers caught a great dash in the Shire with their songs and their tales and their finery, and their wonderful parties. Lordly folks called them, meaning nothing but good, for it warmed their, for, for it warmed all hearts to see them go riding by with their mail shirts so bright and their shields so splendid, laughing and singing songs of far away, and if they were now lo- lo- and if they were now large and magnificent, they were unchanged otherwise, unless they were indeed more fair-spoken and more jovial and full of merriment than ever before. Frodo and Sam, however, went back to ordinary attire, except that when they was needed, they both wore long gray cloaks, finely woven and clasped at the throat with beautiful brooches, and Mr. Frodo always wore a white jewel on a chain that he often would finger. All things went. All things now went well, with hope with hope always of becoming still better, and Sam was as busy and as full of delight as even a hobbit could wish. Nothing for him marred that whole year except for some vague anxiety about his master. Frodo dropped quietly out of the doings of the Shire, and Sam was pained to notice how little honor he had in his own country. Few people knew or wanted to know about his deeds and adventures. Their admiration and respect was mo- was given mostly to Mr. Merridock and Mr. Peregrine, and if and, if Sam had known it, to himself. Also in the autumn there appeared a shadow out of troubles. A shadow of troubles. One evening Sam came into the study and found his master looking very strange. He was very pale and his eyes seemed to see things far away. What's the matter, Mr. Frodo? said Sam. I'm wounded, he answered. Wounded. It will never really heal. But then he got up and the turn seemed to pass and he was quite himself the next day. It was not until afterwards that Sam recalled the date was October the 6th. 
Two day, two years before on that day, it was dark in the dell under Weathertop. Time went on, and 1421 came in. Frodo was ill again in March, but with great effort he concealed it, for Sam had other things to think about. The first of Sam and Rosie's children was born on the 25th of March, a date that Sam noted. Well, Mr. Frodo, he said, I'm in a bit of a fix. Rose and me had set out to call him Frodo with your leave, but it's not him, it's her. Though it's pretty... Though as pretty a made child as anyone could hope for, taking after Rose more than me, luckily, so we don't know what to do. Well, Sam, said Frodo, what's wrong with all old customs? Choose a flower name like Rose. Half the maiden, half the maid children in the Shire are called by such names, and what could be better? I suppose you're right, Mr. Frodo, said Sam. I've heard some beautiful names on my travels, but I hope, but I suppose they're a bit too grand for daily wear and tear, as you might say. The gaffer, he says, make it short, and then you won't have to cut it short before you can use it. But if it's to be a flower name, then I don't trouble about the length. It must be a beautiful pot, flower, because, you see, I think she is very beautiful, and is going to be beautifuler still. Frodo thought about thought for a moment. Well, Sam, what about Eleanor, the sun star? He remembered the little golden flower in the grass of Lothlorien? You're right again, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, del- delighted. That's what I wanted. Little Eleanor was nearly six months old, and 1421 had passed to its autumn when Frodo called Sam into the study. It will be Bilbo's birthday on Thursday, Sam, he said, and he will pass the old tuck. He will be a hundred and thirty-one. So he will, said Sam. He's a marvel. Well, Sam, said Frodo, I want you to see Rose and find out if she can spare you, so that you and I can go off together. You can't go far, or you can't go far for a long time now, of course, he said wistfully. Well, not very well, Mr. Frodo. Of course not, but never mind. You can see me on my way. Tell Rose that you won't be be away very long, not more than a fortnight, and you'll come back quite safe. I wish I could go all the way with you to Rivendell, Mr. Frodo, and see Mr. Bilbo, said Sam. And yet the only place I really want to be in here... And yet the only place I really want to be in is here. I'm I'm that torn in two. Poor Sam... It will feel like that, I'm afraid, said Frodo, but you will be healed. You are meant to be solid and whole, and you will be. In the next day or two, Frodo went through his papers and his writings with Sam, and he handed over his keys. There was a big book with the plain red leather covers, and tall pages were almost filled. At the beginning, there were many leaves covered with Bilbo's thin, rounding hand. But most of it was written in Frodo's firm-flung script. It was divided into chap- chapters, but chapter 80 was unfinished. And after that, there were some blank leaves. The title page had many titles on it, crossed out one after another. So, my diary, an unexpected, my unexpected journey, there and back again, and what happened after. Adventures of Five Hobbits, the tale of the Great Ring, compiled by Bilbo Baggins from his own observations and the accounts of his friends. What we did in the War of the Ring. Here, Bilbo's hand ended, and Frodo had written, "The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King." As seen by the little people, being the memoirs of Bilbo and Frodo of the Shire, supplemented by the accounts of their friends and learning of the wise. Together the extracts from books of lore translated by Bilbo and Rivendell. Why, you have nearly finished it, Mr. Frodo, Sam exclaimed. Well, you have kept it as I... Well, you have kept at it, I must say. I have quite finished it, Sam, said Frodo. The last pages are for you. On September the 21st, they set out together, Frodo on the pony that... That, that had borne him and all the way from Minas Tirith and was now called Strider, and Sam on his beloved Bill. It was a fair golden morning, and Sam did not ask where they were going. 
he thought he could guess. They took the stock road over the hills and went towards the woody end, and they let their ponies walk at their leisure. They, camp they camped in the green hills, and on September the 22nd, they rode gently down the beginning of the trees as afternoons rang away. If that isn't the very tree you hid up, hid behind when the black rider first showed up, Mr. Frodo said Sam, pointing to the left. It seems like a dream now. It was evening, and the stars were glimmering in the eastern sky as they passed the ruined oak and turned and went on, went on down the hill between the hazel thickets. Sam was silent, deep in his memories. Presently, he became aware that Frodo was singing softly to himself, singing the old rocking song, but the words were not quite the same. Still round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate, and though I have oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I, so take the hidden past that run, west of the moon, east of the sun. And as if in answer, from down below, coming up the road out of the valley, voices sang, Ah, Elbrith Guthanil, Sylvan Panamiril, Omenel Elgar Elnath, Guthanil Elberith. We still remember we who dwell in this far land beneath the trees, the starlight on the western seas. Frodo and Sam halted in sound silence in the soft shadows until they saw a shimmer as the travelers came towards them. There was Gildor and many fair elven folk, and there to Sam's wonder rode Elrond and Galadriel. Elrond wore a mantle of grey and had a star upon his forehead, and a silver harp was in his hand, and upon his finger was the ring of gold with a great blue stone, Vilia. Midest of the three, but Galadriel stood upon a white palfrey and was robed all in glimmering white like clouds about the moon, for she herself seemed to shine with a soft light. On her finger was Nenya, the ring wrought of mithril that bore a single white stone flickering like a frosty star. Riding slowly behind a small gray pony and seeming to nod in his sleep was Bilbo himself. Elrond greeted them gravely and graciously, and Galadriel smiled upon them. Well, well, Master Samwise, she said. I hear and see that you have used my gift well. The shower shall now be more than ever blessed and beloved. Sam bowed, but found nothing to say. He had forgotten how beautiful the lady was. Then Bilbo woke up and opened his eyes. Hello, Frodo, he said. Well, I've passed the old took today, so that's settled. And now I think I'm quite ready to go on another journey. Are you coming? Yes, I'm coming, said Frodo. The ring bearers should go together. Where are you going, master? cried Sam, though at last he understood what was happening. To the haven, Sam, said Frodo, and I can't come. No, Sam, not yet anyway, not further than the havens, though you were right, though you too were a ring bearer, if only for a little while. Your time may come. Do not be too sad, Sam. You cannot be always torn in two. You will have to be one in whole for many years. You have so much to enjoy and to be and to do. But, said Sam, and his tears started in his eyes, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire too, for years and years, after all you have done. So I thought too once, but I have been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. But you are my heir, and all that, all that I had and might have had I leave to you. And also you have Rose and Ellen, Elaner, and Frodo Lad will come, and Rosie Lass, and Mary and Goldilocks and Pippin, and perhaps more than I cannot see. Your hands and your wits will be needed everywhere. You will be the mayor, of course, as long as you want to be, and the most famous gardener in history, and you will read things out of the Red Book and keep alive the memory of the age that is gone, so that people will remember the great danger and so love their beloved land all the more. 
and that will keep you as busy and as happy as anyone can be, as long as you part of the story goes on. Come now, ride with me. Then Elrond and Galadriel rode on, for the third age was over, and the days of the rings were past, and, the, and, and an end was come of the story and song of those times. With them went many elves of the high kindred, who would no longer stay in Middle-earth, and among them filled with a sadness that was yet blessed and without bitterness, rode Sam and Frodo and Bilbo, and the elves delighted to honor them. Though they rode through the midst of the Shire all the evening and all the night, none saw them pass, save the wild creatures, or here and there some wanderer in the dark who saw a swift shimmer under the trees, or a light and shadow flow under the grass as the moon went westward. And then when they passed from the Shire, going from the south skirts of the White Downs, they came to the Far Downs and to the towers, and looked on the distant sea, and so they rode down at last to Mithlond, to the Grey Havens and the long firth of Loon. As they came to the gate, Cyrodiil the shipwright came forth to greet them. Very tall he was, and his beard was long, and he was gray and old, save that his eyes were now working, save that his eyes were keen as stars. And he looked at them and bowed and said, "All is now ready." Then Cyrodiil led them to the havens, and there was a white ship lying, and upon the quay beside a great gray horse stood a figure robed all in white, waiting them. As he turned and came towards them, Frodo saw that Gandalf not openly wore on his hand the third ring, Narya the Great, and the stone was upon it was, and the stone upon it, was red as fire. Then those who were glad to go, then those who were to go were glad, for they knew that Gandalf also would take the ship with them. But Sam was not sorrowful at heart, and it seemed to him, that if the parting would be bitter, more grievous still would the would be the long road home, alone. But even as they stood there, and the elves were going aboard, and all was being made ready to depart, up rode Merry and Pippin in great haste, and amid his tears Pippin laughed. You tried to give us a slip once before and failed, Mr. Frodo, he said. This time you have nearly succeeded, but you have failed again. It was not Sam, though, that gave you away this time, but Gandalf himself. Yes, said Gandalf, for it will be better to ride back three together than one alone. While well, here at last, dear friends, on the shores of the sea comes the end of the our fellowship in Middle-earth. Go in peace, I will not say. Do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. Then Frodo kissed Mary and Pippin, and last of all Sam, and went aboard, and the sails were drawn up, and the wind blew, and slowly the ship, sh slowly the ship slipped away down the long gray firth, and the light of the glass of Galadriel that Frodo bore glimmered, w that Frodo bore glimmered and was lost. And the ship went out into the high sea and passed on into the west, until at last on a night of rain Frodo smote a sweet fragrance on the air and heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And then it seemed to him that as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, the gray rinker and turned all into silver gas, silver glass, and was rolled, rolled back. And he beheld white shores and beyond them a, fair, a far green country under a swift sunrise. But to Sam the evening deepened to darkness, and but to Sam the evening deepened to darkness as he stood at the haven, and as he looked at the gray sea, he only saw, he saw only a shadow on the waters that was soon lost in the west. There still he stood far into the night, hearing only the sigh and murmur of the waves on the shores of Middle Earth, and the sound of them sank deep into his heart. Beside him stood Mary and Pippin, and they were silent. At last, the three companions turned away and never again looked back they rode slowly homewards and they spoke no word to one another until they came back to the shire 
but each had great comfort in his friends on the long gray road. At last they rode over the downs and took the east road, and then Mary and Pippin rode to the buck rode to Buckland, and already they were singing again as they went. But Sam turned to Bywater, and some came back up the hill, as day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was a yellow light, and far within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected. And Rose drew him in, and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said.